Uh, this morning we have the privilege of Pastor Jim uh, sharing with us uh, the Word of God. So come on up, Jim. And his grandson, Peyton, is going to read the scripture. Check this out. Right? This is the generations, the faith being passed down, and we are so proud of you guys. And so Peyton's going to read scripture, and then Grandpa's going to preach. So I'll leave you guys. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Good morning. And welcome. It's good to have you here today. Now, we're going to be in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and we're going to play a little game this morning. As Peyton reads, I want you to identify the key word that appears in that fourth chapter, because that's going to serve as the title for the message. But we're not going to tell you what that is. We want you to listen, and then after he reads, I'm going to ask you, what's the title of the sermon? What's the key word in chapter four of Hebrews? Now... Whenever we have the opportunity to read God's word, like at the beginning, read the, the passage that we're going to be preaching from, I always like to invite people to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So if you're able to, would you stand as Peyton reads chapter 4 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains... Let us fear that none of you should miss it, for we also have received the good news, just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what has said, so, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest, and yet... His works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in, in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again in the passage he says, They will never enter my rest, since it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Again he speaks, he specifies a certain day, today, speaking through David after such a long time. As I previously stated, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given the rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation from soul and spirit. It joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all the things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. Thank you. Thank you. May be seated. All right. So, what is the title of the sermon? What is the key word in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13? Rest. It appears time and time again. Yes. All right. Now, the word rest can mean a whole lot of bunch of different things. Um, musicians, 
I tell you, we are so blessed with those who lead worship every week, our musicians. Praise God for them. To them, it means the silence between two sounds, between two notes. And there's different rests, different lengths of rest. And so rest to them means one thing. And then to a manager or a boss, uh, he might ask, did the rest of the orders get filled or the rest of the customers get served? That means a different thing. Or to a trial lawyer, at the conclusion of the presentation of their case, they might say, the defense rests, or the prosecution rests, or my personal favorite, to the person who's tired of hearing someone whine and complain and argue, we might say to them, give it a rest. But what does rest mean in the passage today? Well, actually, it means different things. In fact, one commentator I referred to thought he saw five different things that the rest referred to. Well, I'm going to talk about three of them as we look at this passage. Now, let's start back with that first verse. Thank you, Peyton, for reading. You read well. Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. The very first verse that he read very first verse in chapter 4 begins, therefore. Now, we're not going to go any further than that word just to begin with. Whenever you see therefore, you need to ask yourself a question. Why is that therefore there for? Why is it there? Why does the first verse begin with therefore? Well, there must be something before it that's leading up to it. So, let's go before it to verse 15 of chapter 3. We didn't read that, but let's read it now, and I think we'll understand why that therefore is there for. Verse 15, chapter 3, While it is said, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry <clears throat> 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. He's talking about the Israelites who had come out of Egypt. They had been set free by the miracles of God from hundreds of years of slavery. They had traveled through the wilderness. They had come to the threshold of the land that God had promised to Israel. He'd promised this is going to be your new home. It's going to be a land, it is a land of, of flowing of milk and honey. It's, it's going to be a wonderful place. They came to the threshold of that and they refused to go in. They had sent some spies in. The spies had come back with a report that the people were numerous, they were giants, the cities were well fortified, and therefore, let's not do it. Even though God had said, this is your land, they decided not to possess it. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1 begins, let's be afraid not to do what God wants us to do. 
based on what the Israelites did in the past and the results, the consequences of that, let's be afraid not to follow God because we've seen what happens to people who choose not to. So, therefore, verse 1 begins. Now, the people of God had refused to follow God into the promised land. Also in that first verse, it says, let us fear. Let us be afraid not to follow God. Now, God's talking here about eternal rest. Eternal rest. Rest, a relationship with Him that is eternal. For indeed, verse 2 says, indeed the gospel was preached, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. John 3.36 says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So be afraid not to follow God because when Israel chose not to follow God into the promised land, they spent the next 40 years back in the wilderness wandering and everyone 20 years and above dying in the wilderness. It was their children who eventually went in the promised land, but not them because they had refused to believe. They had heard the gospel preached, verse 2 says, but the word they heard didn't profit them because they didn't accept it. They didn't believe it. They didn't follow the Lord. They just followed their own selfish desires and responded to their own fears controlling their life. So back to this fear thing. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of today? What, what is keeping you from being who God wants you to be today? What is keeping you from following God and obeying God today? I wonder. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God had offered the people an eternal rest, an eternal relationship with him. A gospel was preached. They had rejected because of unbelief and disobedience. But there's another rest here that's going on back in the day of Israel, and that's an earthly rest. These people had been set free from hundreds of years of slavery, they had camped out in the wilderness since leaving Egypt until they got to the promised land. They had camped out for 14 months in a wilderness. Imagine going out in the West Desert and spending 14 months. I think you'd be pretty excited to get back here once that happened. These people had been in the wilderness for 14 months. God was offering them an earthly rest all you have to do is obey me and, and follow me and cross the Jordan into the land that flows with milk and honey. It's a developed land. It's not a wilderness. It's a developed land. And yes, there are issues, there are problems, there are 
well-fortified cities. There are numerous people. Yes, there are issues. There are problems. But this is the land I've promised you. I'm giving it to you. All you have to do is obey me to follow me. Now, when I say a developed land, uh, we're not talking about Walmart and uh, McDonald's. But what they had on the other side of the Jordan River was way above and beyond what they had been dealing with for 14 months out in the West Desert, the wilderness. But they missed the miracle. They missed the miracle. Since leaving Egypt, the Israelites had faced many challenges in their journey. That's to be acknowledged. But along the way, they had witnessed many miracles. Think about what the Israelites had seen in their journey from Egypt to where they were at the threshold of the Promised Land. They had witnessed ten miracles. The ten plagues that were thrust upon Egypt so that they would let the Israelites go. The Israelites had witnessed those ten plagues, ten miracles. And finally the Egyptians said, go ahead and get out of here. And then once they got into the desert, all of the things that they witnessed, they witnessed the pillar of cloud by day to guide them, the pillar of fire by night to guide them, the parting of the Red Sea, the bitter water turned to sweet, the manna, which the word itself means what is it, this food source appeared out of nowhere to feed them. There were quail who were brought in by the winds to provide them meat. There was water that came from the rock. All of these things happened while they were journeying from Egypt to the threshold of the promised land. They had seen so many miracles. It's incredible. And yet when it came down to crossing the Jordan River, to entering the promised land and to possessing it, they, they stopped believing. They, they stopped trusting. They, they started fearing. They decided because of these reports of, of problems that lay ahead, they were going to not, not go any further. They had witnessed these miracles, but apparently failed to pay much attention to what God was doing, or maybe to the fact that God was doing these things in their midst. And all of a sudden they became afraid and, and they wouldn't go any further. They were in a wilderness. Laying before them was a, was a promised land that God had said, this is yours, I'm going to give it to you. But for some reason, they stopped going. They stopped moving forward. They missed the miracles. Uh, the miracles that lay ahead of, of crossing the Jordan River on dry land, of going up to the walls of Jericho and seeing them just collapse in front of them. They missed the miracles of being able to possess a land that was so far beyond anything they'd ever known in Egypt or in the wilderness. They missed the miracle, the miracles. I feel like I missed a miracle several years ago, and I'm not talking about a God miracle, but it just felt like missing a miracle. I had an opportunity to go back to Chicago to attend a Chicago Bears football game. And um, also, I, because I was going back just for a couple of days, I also had booked tickets to the 
a Blackhawks hockey game that night, so I was going to get to see both. I remember going to the, the Bears game, and the Bears were horrible. They couldn't do anything right that day. They either fumbled the ball or threw an interception. It was just a mess. They were playing the Cleveland Browns. The Browns weren't like a great team, but the Bears were even worse that day. And it went all the way into the fourth quarter, and the Bears were down 21 to 7. And there was no indication or hope of indication that they were going to come back because they hadn't done anything. The one seven points that they got was, was a miracle in itself. But it was 21 to 7. There was about three minutes left in the game, and I decided I'm getting out of here because I want to get ahead of the crowd, go out and catch a cab so I can get out to the hockey game on time. So I left with about three minutes in the game. 21 to 7, just like it had been most of the day. I went out and caught a cab, got in the cab. The cab had the football game on the radio. So I got to listen to the last part of the football game as we drove toward the hockey center. Well, with 32 seconds left in the game, the Bears scored again. Eh, 14 to 21, they're still behind. They're just lucky they got that close. But then they did an onside kick. And for those of you who don't know what that is, when you've scored, you kick off to the other team, and there's an opportunity every now and then that teams try out of desperation to just kick the ball along the ground hard enough that it'll bounce off a, an opposition player, and, and you can recover and have the ball again. You just scored, and, and maybe if you can recover that kickoff, you can have it again and have another try. With eight seconds left in the game, the Bears tied the score. I'm listening to this on the radio as we're going out toward the hockey game. I've watched the game all day. I got there early so I could see them warm up. They had done nothing all day long. I had left with three minutes left in the game, and now the Bears scored with 32 seconds left. They scored again with eight seconds left. The game is tied. It goes into overtime. The Bears kick the ball off to Cleveland. The very first play in overtime, the Cleveland quarterback throws an interception and the Bears run it in and win the game. <laughs> and I listen to all of that on the radio <laughs> as I'm headed away from the stadium. I've been there all day long and I miss the miracle. Well, the miracle Israel missed, the miracles that Israel missed were way beyond any kind of miracle that that's, that's referring to. But they missed it. It absolutely blows my mind, all of the miracles that they had witnessed in the wilderness. And they come up to the point of where God says, I'm giving you this. And they stop believing they stop obeying. They stop following. They stop trusting. God's done all of these things in their life. Think back on your life. Think what God's done for you. And do we come to a point to where we just quit? Stop believing? Stop following? Stop obeying? God intended for Israel to leave the wilderness and enter the land that he had planned for them. There would still be trials. There would still be opposition. There would still be challenges, yes. 
But the same Lord who had been revealing himself and his power throughout the journey would continue to protect and provide for them. That wasn't going to stop. How many believers today, how many of us, have found ourselves wandering in our own personal wilderness? Maybe you've come here today, and if you're honest with yourself, you say, I'm in a wilderness. I've been in a wilderness. I've been wandering, and I'm miserable. I need, I need something. I need help. I need direction. I need provision, I need protection, I need direction. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe that's where you will be soon. And people say, you know, I've got faith. And the question comes, faith in what? If, if you get to the trials of your life, the tough times of your life, and all of a sudden you're wavering and wandering and no longer believing or following or, or remembering what God has done, if you are being cast by the winds to and fro by whatever the current fads are or your, what your friends are, 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 are doing, if that's happening and you're wandering in that wilderness and you have faith, continue to have that faith because that's when you most need it. Look back at the God who's helped you in the past, the difference he's made in the past, the provision, the protection that he's provided in the past, and trust him in the present. That's an earthly rest. Yes, there was an eternal rest being talked about in this passage, an eternal rest whereby we establish a relationship with the living God through faith, but there's also an earthly rest by where in this lifetime, in this world, in this earth, in this city, in our place, God can provide rest, victory, hope for us. As believers, we're left with the choice of accepting and basing our lives on the Lord and his promises, or we can choose to do like the ancient Israelites did, and miss the miracles. As a believer, are you still wandering in a wilderness of doubt and disappointment and discouragement, or worse yet, are you operating in an area of disobedience to God? Or you, have you come to Canaan, the promised land, and say, I'm going to keep following. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to accept both the eternal and the earthly rest. I'm going to accept everything God offers me and keep going. And yes, I've got problems. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there's things coming up this week. Maybe a medical uh, report. Maybe a, a big project at work. Maybe a, a, some kind of conflict or confrontation you're trying to deal with. There are things coming up. Yes. But just like... The author of Hebrews said, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts wander. Don't let your, your hearts be burdened or hardened. Keep following. Verse 6, we see this word therefore again. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, 
And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. He's talking about David, King David, and Joshua. David lived several hundred years after the events referred to here of Israel refusing to go into the promised land. And yet, in Psalm 95, David is still talking about rest. This rest is still available. Israel had the opportunity. The people hundreds of days later in David's day have the opportunity of rest. Joshua was offering it. He was the successor of Moses who would eventually lead the children of the adults of the Israelites into the promised land. They offered and talked about the rest, the opportunity that God provides and makes available to us. This opportunity is still available. It hasn't gone away. The opportunity to trust God, to establish a personal relationship with him by which you can have eternal life still exists today. Regardless of what's going on in the world, it's still available. The opportunity for earthly rest, to be able to have a better life than people who are just living by their wits or living by the current fads or the current, whichever the wind is blowing or whatever's popular, to have a better life than that because of a close earthly rest that only the Lord can provide. And the third kind of rest I want to point out to you, I'm going to read verse 4, and then I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verses 9 and 10, Therefore remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. The Greek word in verse 9 is actually Sabbath. Some of the translations just translate it rest, but the word is actually Sabbath. And back in, chapter, back in verse 4, it's talking about when God got through with his rest of creating, six days of creation, he rested. God didn't rest because he was tired because he's worn out, because creation was too much for him. God rested the rest of completion and satisfaction. That's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? When you're, you're engaged in some kind of a project and, and maybe you, you spend a lot of time and energy and money and, and effort completing the project and you get through with it and you stand back and you just have that sense of accomplishment. It's done. It's finished. This feels good. That looks great. That is the rest of the Sabbath that God did after creation. He, he wasn't tired. It wasn't a rest from work. It was a rest in work that as God had completed and finished what he set about to do, there was the rest of satisfaction and completion. 
Isn't that what we all want, really? Is one day to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good job. You didn't come to the edge of the promised land and quit or turn back. You didn't get most of the work done and then said, you know what, there's too much opposition. You did what God wanted you to do. And maybe it wasn't something that a lot of people noticed. It wasn't a a visible kinds of ministry, but it was what God wanted you to do, and you stuck to it. And maybe there were tough times along the way where you wanted to give up, you wanted to throw in the towel. No, you stuck with it. You kept teaching those little kids, regardless of what the results were in the classroom and how difficult sometimes it could be. You stopped reaching out to people even though sometimes they would reject you or even ridicule you. You, you. No, you just kept going. You just kept going. You kept standing up for the Lord even though the world opposed you. Kept going. The rest of completion, of satisfaction, even as God, when he completed his creation, Rested. The message is that those who follow the Lord can have a sense of satisfaction in their work here on earth and a sense of completion later. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Finally, look at verses 11 and following. Let us therefore, there it is again, therefore, based on what we've learned, what we know about Israel, what we know about the events that transpired, based on the fact we've been warned not to harden our hearts against what God wants us to do, to follow him faithfully even when the going, or perhaps especially when the going gets tough, Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, to keep going, to take advantage of what God offers to us. Earthly rest, eternal rest, and the rest of the Sabbath. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience as the Israelites. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we we must give account. This is simply saying, you know what? You can't hide your true feelings, what's really going on in your head and your heart. You can't hide that from God. He knows who we are. He knows where we are. He knows what we are. So don't harden your hearts. Don't try to play games with God. Don't try to do religious things hoping that somehow it'll uh, accrue brownie points. for God knows who we are. So from our hearts, God is pleading in Hebrews, Faithfully follow the Lord. 
Don't make the mistakes the ancient Israelites made and missed out on the miracles that God had, the promises that he was going to fulfill in their life and their country. Don't, don't do that. But follow the Lord faithfully. If you haven't trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now, right where you are. Listening in while you're seated here, you can do that right now. Following the Lord is not a religious activity. I, I have people say to me from time to time, well, I don't believe in religion. I look back to them and I say, I don't either. Because to me, religion is the things that man thinks he can do or, or has to do in order to earn or merit God's favor. God didn't want a religion with us. He wants a relationship with us whereby we trust him as our savior and follow him with our heart. That's what he wants. If you haven't done that, you can do that. You should do that today. Don't harden your hearts. Don't turn away from the promise of eternal life. You're a believer today, though, and you're in that wilderness. Don't keep wandering there. God has so much better of a life for you if you just turn to him. And stop trying to play the games you've been playing, like most people are playing. Just trust him and follow him. Band, you can come up. So we've looked at three rests today. An eternal rest that's established through a faith relationship and Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. An earthly rest, which is available right now. We can have a better life than just living by our wits and our wisdom. And a Sabbath rest of completion and satisfaction as we accomplish what God has called us to do. The Israelites missed the miracles and continued wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. When they turned back from the threshold of the promised land, they spent 40 years, not just 14 days, in the wilderness. I want to read a verse that the Lord Jesus spoke and I think it's a fitting way to end what we've looked at today. In Matthew 11, 28, 29, Jesus said these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 